absolutely ridiculous. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice. I thought that happened. Well, because when I pressed pause before, I think it said recording stopped. <laughs> ah. This meeting is being recorded by continuing to be in the meeting. You're consenting to be recorded. Yeah. I'd say there's been some dodgy carry on going on, some Zoom calls around the world, I'd say, that has resulted in our robotic friend. A little bit like OK Computer. <laughs> Better, healthier, more productive. Okay. Everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. We are approaching the quarterfinal stages here at El Guna. A few upsets, most noticeably uh, Joel King bowing out in round two and Marwan El Shabagi in round one. Fellas, how are we doing? I'm good, thanks. Doing well. Ready for, some, ready for some big uh, big quarterfinals coming up. All right. Before we get into that, it's been a good weekend of squash. There's a lot of upset. Well, a few upsets, a few minor ones, like the main two that we just sort of mentioned there. And Olivia Victor clocked up a great win against uh, Nelly Galise. And as I think Stuart and maybe Chris, maybe all three of us might have predicted, Gregoire Marsh getting through Miguel Angel. Yeah, his first first platinum quarterfinal, I believe. Well, that's what I thought, but then it said this first since 2016. I think you need one back then, but I don't remember it, if I'm honest. Um, Thanks for your honesty. Appreciate that. (laughs) Always honest. That's my my biggest downfall half the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes I wish I could lie better, but unfortunately not. No, I think think it's the best way, man. But on Marsh, Marsh against Rodriguez, one of the things that really stood out to me was um, just watching that match on a plaster court and thinking just how top 20 players shouldn't have to play on plaster courts because it's so difficult for them to attack um, and use the front, front of the corner when they're both that quick and move so well. Uh, and I would have loved to see that match on a glass court. But then I was thinking that at the time and then I watched... I think it was in the same day, Dasuki played Gautier and they did use the four corners and you sort of saw kind of what separates guys at that level and their ability to move the ball around and control it and not just sort of bash the ball to the back. But I thought Marsh played really well. I thought he got the balance right. Um, Rodriguez just didn't do much. He just sort of like keeps the ball in play and hopes that he gets enough errors or frustrates you enough. But against someone like Marsh, who's obviously moving up in the rankings and playing some better squash, it just wasn't enough. And, you know, you're touching on the the normal court there, but did you see some of the um, balls on the glass court and just, like, how hard it was to control, especially early in matches? I noticed I was watching a couple matches, and I thought the length was, like, a little bit sloppy at times. And one match in particular, like, it took a – game or so for the ball to kind of I don't know if it was the ball or the side walls but there was a lot of like weird kind of lines being hit between Paul Cole and Victor Cruin who are both you know pretty reasonably tight obviously and uh I noticed it in some of the women's matches on the glass too like I don't I don't know if it's it's the glass court itself or just like maybe it's super hot and that new ball is you know sponging but I definitely noticed the uh a, a bit of a 
it took a little bit of settling down for the ball to start getting through the court. Do you see uh, any of that? Yeah, it's, it's all, I think Acuna traditionally, because it's outside, maybe a bit of the wind, I don't know if it moves the court or, I remember the last time, or I don't know if it was the last time actually, I remember a time when just the outdoor court, there was some, I think that court, the floorboards had been questioned in the back left corner maybe, or just on the left wall a little bit. Allison Waters just um, had a pretty good slip. And obviously there's that picture of Paul Cole in a, in a full, in a full split. Um, but Allison actually just took a timeout, uh, uh, injury timeout. Cause she, she, her heel just kept sliding as well. She actually conceded the match in the end. Yeah. And is this, is, is this the court that sometimes gets the sand blowing on it? Yeah, I was remember yeah, that year where there was sand all over the court because it was so windy out. Wilstrop once, didn't he pull out of a semi or a final? Yeah, that was way back, one of the, the early years. But yeah, I think because it's right on the coast and they're not in the same location this year, they've moved to the, it's like a conference or cultural centre, but they're usually right down by the, the beach or the marina. Um, but it seems like just the whole area is so close to the sea that there's probably a lot of sand around and I think they get some high winds as well. Um, I'm not sure if that also plays into the fact that the ball sort of swirls around when it goes, especially when it's lobbed up above the side walls and catches the wind. But yeah, I, I saw them actually once they finished yesterday putting some sheeting down, kind of like they do at, at Wimbledon when you, you get a rain delay and they sort of run on with the, the covers. They were doing that at the end of the play yesterday. But yeah, it's a shame that you can't get more matches on the glass court, but then it's also understandable why, because you obviously can't play during the day in an outside setting because you have to wait for the sun to go down a little bit. Well, actually, uh, technically you can. You just wouldn't be able to see the ball. It's wow. <laughs> a good point. <laughs> it, it, it's just a very logical choice. Um, yeah, we, we've talked about the court stuff before. We're like, it's such a delicate balance between putting it in this unbelievable you know, um, backdrop and, and great venue. But if, if it doesn't play right, it just like, it doesn't work. And uh, to be determined with this event, I just, I have seen, it has looked like there have been a couple slips and I did notice the, the ball, but I didn't think it would have been because of the wind. I think the biggest issue is if the players don't feel safe to commit to their movements. I think that's always a hard one. But at the same time, I've seen plenty of matches where the court hasn't really been an issue. I mean, the best match I've seen all week was the Marwan versus Abugar match on, uh, I think it was on Saturday, but it was the last match of the second round. And that could easily have been a quarterfinal or even further along. Um, and yeah, it was just Abu playing some of the squash that we know he's capable of, but hasn't always produced or certainly struggles to produce it consistently and hold it together for a full match. But right from the start, he was patient. He was sort of seemed up for it and he was focused and disciplined. He wasn't making errors like he can be prone to. And even he actually lost the first game. He lost the first and the third. He was 2-1 down, but he almost played better than Marwan in both those games as well as winning I mean, the three games he won, he won fairly comfortably. I think it was like 11-3, 11-5, 11-3 in the three games he won. Yeah. Uh, in the two games he lost, I actually thought he was the better player. Certainly in the third, um, Marwan sort of was down 
a little bit in the first and then played a really good end of the game like, like we know he usually does. But it just felt the whole way through the match. He was just waiting for Abur to start making errors, start going short too early, and it just never came. It was one of the most impressive performances I've seen from Abugar. Um, the only other time I've seen him probably play at that level was when he, um, I think he made the final of the World Tour finals back in 2019, lost to Gawad in the final. But yeah, I'm really interested to see how he backs up later on today against Asal, see if he can keep that sort of level of performance up again. Yeah, we we did kind of call that if uh, Marwan lost, it was likely because he was just saving himself for the for the British and the Worlds. And I'm going to stick to that since I picked him. I think I think he I think he's just prepping for those uh, for the big ones. I mean, the other reason he might have lost was because you didn't give him any shit for not being good enough. I think I was too nice <laughs> to him, but yeah, I think I was too nice to him. You didn't get him fired up by saying he's a hack, he's, he's past it, he's got no chance. So <laughs> it's on you, Chris. Yeah, I'll take that one, Marwan. Um, and uh, big uh, Arthur's boy getting through to, the, to his last 16 against uh, Mohammed El Shabagi uh, Masuti. Masuti. Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> I watched his game. I didn't see his first match. I, uh, I read his post match interview and he wasn't overly happy commented on being stressed and having a huge amount of tournament play my word he was ferocious against Todd yeah, Todd also had a good win in the first round beating George Parker if you love which I'll be honest I probably wouldn't have predicted but um, was playing well and then Baptiste beat him pretty comfortably yeah geez. yeah he was ferocious just the hitting and just hitting it across Todd's body and he really struggled to kind of deal with that that was sort of the noticeable, just he really sort of hit the ball across Todd's body quite well. And it was difficult for Todd to kind of, he struggled to do much about it, to figure out a way to sort of neutralise those attacks. He, maybe he wasn't quite as tight as he would have liked to have been, which made it a little bit easier for Masuti to be able to impose that type of strategy against him. But yeah, it was impressive. I, I think he'll do okay uh, against Mohammed tonight. I mean... I don't. I think he'll make an improvement to his previous performance, which was impressive, but he might not be as addicted to Knicks this week as he was, however long ago Black Ball was. Yeah, we'll see if my take uh, if my take holds up that Baptiste might be addicted to Knicks. Um, <laughs> it's about to go on right now, Arthur. So this unfortunately is not a live podcast. Give us your prediction because by the time it airs, you'll be right or you'll be wrong. <laughs> oh. um, I mean, I got, score, I score, and maybe approximate time. Three one. Fifty two minutes to Mohammed El Shabagi. Okay. Well, check the tape, ladies and gentlemen, and tweet Arthur if he's terribly off. I don't think he'll get a game, <laughs> and I think it'll be in the forty to forty five minute range. I do think that. Um, one of the things that impresses me about not just Baptiste but a lot of these young French guys is that they don't seem intimidated I don't know if it's because they get to train with a really good group so they're constantly around top 20 players and obviously Gauthier has been around for a while so as they're growing up they get a lot of experience against high level players so maybe that gives them a little bit more comfort but I'm always impressed by especially Baptiste probably more than a lot of them just 
just sort of steps on court and really seems like he believes he can win or he can at least cause the guys some trouble and they take the game to them. They don't sort of go passive or defensive and just look like they're grateful to be on court. Just going back to you, you just mentioned about, you know, having the exposure to the top French players, you know, growing up and stuff. I think they've got a great system, the French Federation. Yeah, like I do it really too. nurtures talent and, and you know, allow, it gives them every opportunity to be the best squash players they could possibly be. There feel feels like there's more coming out of the woodworks every tournament too. There's a young guy, I think he's young guy, got guy. you. Bon, bon, bon Sebastian. Over his head. <laughs> yeah. Sebastian Bomales was in this. I hadn't seen his name, I don't think. Do you guys know him? I don't know him that well, but I actually watched him play in a he was the top seed in a challenger or yeah, challenger five event the week before this. So I think he only got in last minute and he played yeah. um Japanese guy Ryoshi Kobayashi. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Who Chris you probably know from his college squash days. Um and Kobayashi actually beat him to love, but it was a really good match. Um, yeah, and I think I he jumped, I think he found out right after his, that tournament that he was into this and he jumped on a flight and got, got right going again. Um, yeah. yeah. And then you had August, August Desard. Um, obviously you have Marsh. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're deep right now. They are. Um. Speaking of French people, young French guys, uh, either of you catch Dasuki against Gauthier? Yes. Yes. Does it take confidence? No, no, I just watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, I watched it because I sort of bowled. Well, I wasn't, I mean, it's not really bold, but I just sort of had a hot take that Gauthier might sneak through that. He did not. He lost in four. Dasuki is a beast. I only saw the first two games, actually. And then my stream went down. Yeah, same here. Uh, I think the stream went down for everyone, actually. Midway through the third, my stream went down. Um, Dasuki looks good, even though he's lost the game. Lost the game again earlier today against Patrick Rooney, who is another player we should talk talk about in a second. But um, I've been quite impressed with Dasuki, even though he's not got through as easy as some guys. I mean, you look at Paul Calls through to the quarters without dropping a game, Joe Macon's couple of three loves as well but I think considering Dasuki is probably better suited to the glass court he'll be very happy to get through reasonably comfortable um, and get onto the glass court where I'm sure he'll prefer playing by no mission and Patrick Rooney again I think when we recorded our last episode he was just finishing up his match against Deck James and then he backed that up um the next round, he had a good win against Dimitri Steinmeister. Yeah, and he was sort of competitive with Dusuki. Won the first game, came out of the blocks pretty quickly, and then Dusuki noticeably stepped up in the second, started volleying a lot, really aggressive, high T position, um, and sort of caught Patrick off guard a little bit in the second, but then sort of settled back into it in the third played well, and then couldn't quite win that game, and Dasuki ran away. Dasuki's last two points of the fourth, if you can go back and watch the replay, are outrageous. Just two cross-court forehand nets. Just bang, bang. Like, thanks for coming. 
Uh, that's how you end a match. <laughs> it's how I wish I ended up. I must have played hundreds of matches in my life. I've never once ended one like Basuki did today. <laughs> it's funny you just say that about Suzuki noticed me stepping up in the second. I remember once playing Suzuki and I won the first game. It was only a practice match. There was no stakes. But uh, I scored two points in the next two games. And I had done some amount of work. I remember just thinking, this is, I'm in so much pain right now. <laughs> I think that's what impressed me most about Patrick Rooney is that even after Dasuki did that, he physically didn't back down. He was prepared to, to push himself. Um, and it took him a little while to adjust, but he came back really strongly in the third and really gave him a run for his money. So I think Dasuki in his comments actually commented that. Um, he feels like Patrick Rooney's playing sort of top 15 in the world standard. So it'd be interesting to see if he can move up. Certainly beating Deck James a couple of times in the last two months or month suggests that he's up around that top 20 level. So it'd be interesting to see if his ranking can get up there in the next year or two. Yeah, pretty big, pretty big performances. Um, not necessarily in the round of 16, but to get there for... Uh, Two college guys, Yusuf Ibrahim and um, Victor Cruin. Uh and but it does it does show it does show how tough that uh, that gap is from from getting to the round of sixteen to then you know be, beating guys like Paul and Joel because Yusuf, I mean, I did I, did, I watched uh, he just looked super comfortable and obviously the score line against Ian Yao would would suggest that he was pretty comfortable there and then you know, kind of looks like each game against Joel, he just kind of kept getting further and further away. And um, Victor played fairly well against Paul, just, yeah, a little tidier. Um, I, I watched that one, a little tidier, just kind of can really wait and pick and choose his spots. Um, but, yeah, safe to say, you know, there's a good young crew coming up here. There is. also bodes well for next year in college squash as well. Hopefully have those two guys back. Um, well, hopefully not, but yeah, they're welcome. <laughs> they're welcome back. <laughs> they, are the, they are the competition. For the health of college squash, we'll welcome them back. But yeah. for the sake of our individual programs, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, and on the, I mean, similar similar stuff on the women's side, uh, you know, Siva, Siva coming through against Tez. Oh, no, no, go on, finish it. Sorry? Siva Sangari, Subramanium. <laughs> Subramanium. Subramanium. Um, Our close friends just call us Siva. Arthur. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can go for the full name. Me and Chris will just go with Siva. <laughs> Formal. Keeping it yeah, professional. Big, big, win, <laughs> big win for her getting through. Um, getting through and looks like she put on a pretty good pretty good uh, test for Noron Gohar. And then... Yeah, yeah. I, sorry. I, I watched that match yeah. she was very unlucky not to win one of the first two games in particular the second she had two game balls but she um just didn't play her game balls at those points as well as she had up until that point but she made go her work pretty hard and she had this lovely little forehand post that she kept on you know taking Nora out of position and then sort of following that up with the next shot. I thought she was brilliant. I had never really seen her play that much. I was really impressed watching her play for the first time. Yeah, it's quality. She's really good to watch because she's nice and relaxed and she likes to move the ball around and play shots. And she, she always looks to me like she's enjoying being on court. Um, 
I'm sure she does take it seriously, but she never looks like she takes it too seriously and gets too fired up. But then she obviously loves to compete. I mean, her I, I didn't see her match with Gohar, but I saw her match with uh, Tesney, which again is a great win for her. We actually, we, we sort of picked out four matches in the second round that we thought could be either tight or potential upsets, and they were all upsets in the end. So it was uh, that one, Siva against Tesney. We had... Lucy Tornell against Olivia Blatchford playing. And we had Olivia Fichter against Neela Gillis, which I'll be honest, I thought might be close. I didn't really expect an uh, upset, but that, I feel like that's a great win for Olivia there. And then we also had uh, Holly Norton taking out uh, Joshna Ch- Chinapa. So Yeah, the, and there was there was a point in that Fichter Gillis match where, you know, it, it was obviously very physical and just physically tough, I should say. They weren't beating each other up. Um, it, it was, you know, getting it was getting long. It was tough, and I think Nela was up seven three in the third. I want to say, and it looked like both of them were pretty tired. Um, and so, obviously, that was a big turning point. And Olivia Victor, I think, won you know eight out of the next ten points or something, and then and then looked looked better in the fourth than she probably did for the first three games. So she. Yeah, settled in well and uh, kind of got a good got a good finish there. Um, Salma Haney looked sharp in the next round against Olivia. Not gonna lie, she did. She yeah. looks like I always feel like there's a bit of a gap between the sort of top eight and the women's side and the rest. Probably similar to the men, like we just mentioned. But uh, Salma Haney looks like she really belongs in that top eight now. Um, that's maybe the semi-finals in black ball and had a good run there. But part of that was down to Gohar being sort of withdrawn from the tournament for breaching the COVID protocol. So you sort of question whether she really earned that position, but she certainly looks like she's up amongst the top eight players in the world now. Funny, that's her and her rankings eight. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sometimes you, you can sort of sneak in there with a few sort of either not lucky wins, but just one or two good wins and then you don't sort of back it up and show any consistency. But the last two tournaments... Sorry, move on. The last two tournaments, she's definitely looked like she belongs in the top eight in the world. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you can get to the top eight without kind of belonging there. It's just too hard. There's so many great players. Like maybe, like there's other brackets of rankings. And... As you touched on last week, Stuart, about the you know sometimes the the draw, you can have like these little windows where you play, you can get to a last sixteen without beating a player in the top sixteen. But I think to top eight, you still top eight in the world, you still got to beat. You still you got to be average in quarterfinals uh, for the year. At that level. Yeah, but, but I, I I didn't feel like she was consistently making quarterfinals until recently. So. Um, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I say, she made the semi-final without actually beating a top eight player. Um, she did beat, uh, after Gohar was withdrawn, she did beat Olivia Klein in a fairly convincing fashion. So that was a good sign for her. And then I think her match with Amanda, who she actually plays tomorrow in the quarterfinals, was fairly tight as well. So... Yeah, I'm looking forward. I think that's going to be tasty. 
Well, you've picked Amanda to win the. Is it you or Chris that picked her to win the tournament? Chris Arthur. picked her to win the bottom half. I yeah. picked her to win the tournament. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, all these all these quarters are setting up to be uh, to be awesome. So, we got Rowan and Gohar could be a fun one at the bottom. I think they've played a couple times. I just don't have the memory that you do, Stuart. So I can't pull out any facts. I don't have them to hand, unfortunately. No, sorry. No, I think Noran beat Rowan in what was the second tournament back for Noir? The Egyptian Open, maybe. I think that could be the one, but then yeah. I'm not a CFAX guy either. So, in fact, Stuart, I'm surprised you're not saying. I'm surprised your answer wasn't the Egyptian Open over the Egyptian Open, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my memory's going. I'm in my forties now. Duh. And nothing yeah. to do with going to Vegas for the weekend, was it? I didn't make it to Vegas. I've, I'm going to have regrets about this for the rest of my life, but I decided against it, unfortunately. What happened to Yolo? Uh, and your man, your man, uh, your Scottish man took it down too, right? He did. Scott must pre- have been must have been out in full force. Oof. When I started looking at tickets at the start of the week, they were about four hundred dollars, which was bearable. I could handle that plus flights. But by the time I got round to actually committing to it, they'd gone up to about thirteen hundred. And the real kicker actually was that I could only find pairs of tickets, so you couldn't just buy an individual ticket. So I would either had to go without a ticket and then take a gamble that I could pick one up there, or I could have bought two and tried to flog one off. And uh, a good buddy of mine, shout out to Lyle Patterson, but he let me down big time. Partly because he, he disgraced himself the weekend before by staying out all weekend. I think he was golfing. and he Oh, didn't Lyle. Didn't make it home that night. Uh, partly played all three rounds of golf in the same clothes because he was such a mess um, <laughs> but he couldn't wing another weekend in the lash so I'm blaming him hope you golf so, well Lyle yeah sounds like uh, Stuart thought you had a tentative drop shot and you just hit it into the tin <laughs> story of my career hold and drive <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I'm out of hot takes for the squash I had one, one actually two more. Uh, one was probably the best women's match I've seen so far. I didn't see the Victor and uh, Naila Gillis match, but I did see Camille against Tina Gillis. Um, and I thought that was the great match. Um, sort of a little bit critical in the last episode about some of the quality of the early round women's matches, but that was highest quality and... Rally length was, I mean, it was 74 minutes for four games, which just shows how competitive and highly contested the rallies were. I also thought uh, Tina looked a lot fitter. Um, she'd always sort of moved quite well, but never been quite as fit as her sister, I would have said. But she looked a little bit leaner and looks like whatever she's doing. I think she's based in Nottingham in the UK. And I saw her commenting that she's got a really good group of training partners, including... Um, Colleen Omar, I think Georgina Kennedy has graduated from the US now has moved back and is training there but she looked a lot fitter and really until the last couple of rallies she was really able to match to me some great quality squash so that was probably the best women's match I've seen um, 
someone else that looked like they've really been working on the game and made some changes and improved was uh, your girl, Chris Farida Mohammed. She obviously came up against Shabini, which is about as tough a draw as you can get. But I thought the first game, she she's added a bit more variety to her game. She's not just pounding the ball as hard as she can. She's sort of mixing the pace a little bit. Uh, she's playing the ball short a lot more than she used to. Her movement looks better. Um, so I think positive signs for her. Yeah, yeah. Similar to the men, um, for the sake of women's college squash, I'll welcome her back next season. But if she wants to take a gap year and continue playing pro, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> yeah. But I think just from talking about college squash, I think the two standout players in my mind are going to be Farida and Seva. So just like we could have um, a really good group of guys competing next year, I think they're going to be two players to beat on the on the women's side if the college course season goes ahead next year. Yeah, we've got a couple other secret weapons in our uh, in our bag, Stuart. I don't think they're that secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, any do you want to make any predictions for the quarterfinals and on, or kind of just stick to our guns? We've kind of already done it, maybe. Or? You know, I've, I had Marwan and Joel both making the semis, so they're out of contention. But apart from that, I'm sticking with my previous predictions. I'm really excited to watch the two matches tomorrow, Sovia and Hani, but also Tarek Moman and Gregoire Marsh. Yeah, and since I said, you know, I picked Marwan and Les, said Marwan, but I thought Assal might be the guy that would give him trouble, I might have to say... Just a you know throwaway pick here since I'm already wrong. I might have to say I think Assault. This could be Assault's time to get through to the final. Um, and I'm sticking with Cole on the bottom. He's Assault and Dezuki. That that could be tasty. That could well, be, you've, yeah. you've also got before that Assault and Abugar, which based on what I saw from his match with Marwan could be could be interesting. Like again, like I said earlier, it all comes down to whether Abogar can hold his squash together and not start going for silly winners and making errors. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I saw it beat him before. I remember watching it in uh, Grand Central. TOC, yeah. 2020. 2020. That was the yeah. Nick Fest. Well, that was like, welcome to the PSA. Like, here's 100 cross-court Nicks. That was sort of his breakthrough win, I think. And then, did, didn't he play Gote in the next round? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who also beat, but I think that that tournament um, was kind of where he first came to attention on the PSA tour. Obviously, he'd won World Juniors, so I think plenty of people knew who he was and knew he was good. But that was his sort of breakthrough on Squash TV. Hasn't looked back since, has he? No, he hasn't actually. Um, just I don't know if you saw, but he he actually caught. Um, Saurav with his racket in their match and me not being a huge fan of Asal thought oh yeah probably blocked him out and <laughs> exaggerated swing and tried to hit him and dangerous play and all that and really didn't give him the benefit of the doubt but I went back and found found the clip and I have to say I have to defend the guy he didn't really do much wrong sort of takes his space, space in the middle but he doesn't it's, there's certainly no malice or intent um, which yeah, 
I was kind of expecting maybe a little bit of dirty play, but that wasn't the case at all. Jeez, ever the pessimist too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you've just got, you've it wouldn't got like you to it wouldn't like you to be in a jury on a trial, huh? <laughs> Sometimes you've just got to judge people by reputation. Reputations are earned for a reason. Um, although I will say I've just defended him and said some nice things about him, but his new celebration, they can get fucked with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, like the, the cheese. <laughs> Big open mouth cheese smile. Nothing wrong with a bit of cheese. Not for me. <laughs> You're more of a pizza tomato based. That's it, man. <laughs> um, I can't add anything to that, Arthur. So take us <laughs> home. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, that's it, guys. I think we're good, huh? Yeah. Four days of high quality squash. Hopefully, to round us off. So. Lovely. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, check us out on social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, yeah, cheers. Cheers.